What's up, everybody? We're back on the Founder Hour podcast. This is your co-host, Posh. I'm Pat. And we're here with Chef Johnny Rayzone of Howlin' Rays. I'm sure you guys have heard of it, and if you haven't... I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, just turn out the podcast. Don't listen to us, because you're not worthy. So, Johnny, great to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. Thanks All for having right. us at Howlin' Rays. Yeah. We can hear some music in the background. I don't know if the folks on the podcast can catch it. And we're excited to get some of the food after as well. So we decided to not talk before this podcast so that we don't let go of any of the fresh material. Mm. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. I know you're born and raised in L.A. What part of L.A.? Grew up in uh, Echo Park. Uh, went to John Marshall High School. Prior to that, uh, King Middle School right on Myra and then uh, Franklin Elementary. Um, but yeah, Los Angeles born and bred. Um, I, it, my first part of my career was like basketball. It was, it was going to, you know, you're be, a pretty tall dude. So yeah, yeah six foot two, three ish hmm. and can dunk and, you know, had a good jump shot from mid range to outside. Did so, you play at John Marshall high? Yeah. I got a college scholarship, but decided to be a chef instead. Okay. You know, um, but were yeah. Your, were your parents born in the U.S. as well or? Uh, yeah. So my father, Ray Zone, uh, he was born in Rancho Cucamonga out in the valley. Like, I guess you could say like Fullerton or, sure. you know, like kind of like uh, suburbs. Um, he worked in a steel mill until he was 35 years old and then decided to come out to L.A. and started a 3D uh, business doing uh, 3D conversions for oh. comic books. Wow. Oh, wow. And what year is that? Uh, he came out probably in like the seventies, you know, uh, and him and my mom, they're like the older kind of generation. Like my mom's like, like probably like 70 mm. now. So they had me like right at that, at that point where it was yeah. like, they can't have babies or she couldn't have babies right. anymore. And he was kind of like at the end of his kind of like career approaching like retirement kind of thing, you know? So it was, I was really blessed with having this older generation of parents, you know? Mm. And what was like? life like as a kid here in LA like besides playing basketball is there anything else you did or like yeah I mean it was it was really unique it's it's funny like one of the guys right now Cooper who's like on expo he was my best friend since childhood uh and we kind of grew up together um a very eclectic Los Angeles crowd you know like it's like my high school had like 5,000 students and like yeah probably I don't know 20 white people out of those 5,000 students. A lot and more so, Latinos, African-Americans. Yeah, the culture. It was, it was it, like, and I think that was what my father and my mom were kind of like really excited about in terms of Los Angeles was it was yeah. it's such a melting pot of cultures. Right. And I mean, here we Absolutely. are serving national hot chicken in Chinatown. You know, it's like that how L.A. is that, you know, yeah. and it's like. I, I just love it. I, I, that's why instead of moving out to Nashville, I decided to you know come Bring back Nashville here. here. Yeah, exactly. So were you a big foodie as a kid, or how did you? I mean, how did you decide to forego going to play basketball to become a chef? Yeah, so I uh, went out uh, to New Mexico with one of my friends, and I had this burger that his father-in-law cooked, and it had let, like these charred Fresno peppers on it. The, the bread was, like, freshly baked. The, it wasn't even beef. It was, like, bison. It was, like, weird meat. Right. You know, it was but, a little less fatty. Yeah, but it was, it was bomb. It was, like, yeah, so good. It was, yeah. it, and and the re I didn't know at the time, but the reason why it was so good was because it was all local, fresh, and, like, just, just properly executed um, because they didn't have, like, your convenience store or mm -hmm. whatever. And I had that burger, and I was, like, I was probably like 16, 17 at the time. And I was like, I want to be able to do this at any given moment. I want to be able to conjure up some type of 
thing like this for whether it's for a girl for myself for the homies mm. whatever uh be able to cook at that level mm-hmm. like i want to be able to do that yeah. so when i came back you know i kind of put basketball on pause a little bit and decided to you know start working for free in uh this little french restaurant on franklin avenue uh called figaro bistro mm. that was my first job dishwasher so, so you're in high school at this time yeah, so my my uh, my dad had a friend who uh, owned that restaurant, and I told him, "Look, I want to be a chef. I want to, you know, kind of go into this." And he's like, "Well, you know, I can call him or whatever, and start as a dishwasher, just you know, washing dishes." And, yeah. And uh, so college wasn't really in the plans after that. I I mean, it, it, at the time, like I could have really, I could have taken that route, but <clears throat> I was never driven by college and my parents were so eclectic and artistic that they were like you you just all you got to do in life is is do what you love Mm. and everything else follows so money you had their their blessing yeah yeah yeah, they were eclectic and artistic enough to be like you know whatever you want to do you do it you go out and do it you work hard you you sweep the floors whatever it is you need to do for that um but you do it and do do your best at it and everything else will follow so so what do you do after you start dishwashing and you're you realize that being a chef is more so the passion that you want to go after. What do you start doing after that? Or is it just you keep working at restaurants? So I would say it's like, you know, you, something's, uh, there's a ball rolling downhill, a ball full of trash or whatever, and it just yeah. keeps acquiring trash, yeah. keeps acquiring, gets bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. Yeah. As I got deeper and deeper into it, I started reading Anthony Bourdain. I started watching uh, some of the early clips of Gordon Ramsay. Um started like just immersing myself in in the culture um marco pierre white all those guys these old school guys and i just kept falling more and more in love with it and i wanted to understand how to communicate in the kitchen because you can say like go grab me a two-inch hotel pan you know and so if i say to you guys grab me a two-inch hotel pan and a perforated pan and then also i need a chinois yeah and you no. guys, you're supposed to say, yes, chef, and you go get it, and you bring it. Gotcha. And gotcha. I didn't know, when these guys were talking to me, I didn't know the language. So while I was working, I bought a used CIA textbook off of Amazon, and I uh, wrote that word for word uh, into just a blank, empty book so that I could process the language. So by me you know, reading it, and then it going in my brain, and then it coming out of my hand, I felt like that was a way where I could understand the language of yeah. the kitchen. And besides, like being inspired by the actual making of the food um, and seeing folks like Anthony Bourdain and Gordon Ramsay and like what their approach to all that stuff. Was there anything about anything else about being a chef that intrigued you? Like, what, like, I mean, did you eventually want to have your own like restaurant? Yeah, no. I mean, I didn't. I didn't go in it with seeking like. I feel like now it can get a little twisted in the sense of, you know, chefs are kind of going in it for fame, going in it for I want to be on top chef or whatever. I got in it because honestly, like I like to to work work my butt off. You know what I mean? I liked hard work. I respected those guys with like calluses on their hands yeah. and you know and I also wanted to, you know, like explore the the lure that i was reading about with uh anthony bourdain and all that Mm -hmm. stuff it's like a pirate ship it's like you know this the camaraderie Mm -hmm. this this team you know where the guy washing the deck you know the guy washing the dishes the guy bringing the plates back all that stuff there were so many moving parts to it that i was just fascinated by that and you know that's kind of 
those are some of the things that really inspired me and got me, you know, going. I'm curious, as a restaurateur now, and we could jump into it more down the line, but were you ever a leader when back you were in high school and a little after that, did you display what you now, I guess, know as a leadership or leadership qualities? I mean, there were small, like, characteristics of it, but I wouldn't say that I was a leader. I mean, I was, like... I was well accepted within a lot of different cultures and communities, you know, like with, with a lot of different people being, being in LA, you know, you have all these different groups of people. And so I was like accepted in, in that sense, but I, I don't think I was really like leading, you know, uh, at that point, I think what got me to the point of leader was the amount of grind that I put in the amount of like hours mm-hmm. in the kitchen, taking, taking stuff from right. people, you know, getting yelled at, uh, working 16 hour days, you know, and it's more like leadership by example. Yeah. Lead by example. Yeah, for sure. That's what I do here. And that's yeah. why I feel like I have such a, 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 like, I feel so blessed to have the crew and the staff that I have now. And then also the perspectives that the staff and the crew has on me, because yeah. they see me expediting orders. They see me working the line. They see me coming in, you know, like in right. covered in drywall or whatever. And it's like, that's what's up. You know, right, you're like, not just the money guy that funded this no. restaurant and you know, you're just like, here, you go run with it. You're, you're literally the man behind the scenes or perhaps sometimes even in front of the scenes on stage working. Yeah. And I think that that it becomes transparent with employees yeah. and, 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 and staff. And, and that's what kind of almost shifts you into that leadership role. Cause yeah. how can you lead somebody if you don't know how to do it yourself better and faster right. than them? So it's right. like, I have a joke with some of my guys, like, I bet I can try it tie a trash bag faster than you like like whip it out boom tie it and it's like i joke with them like what how come you know i'm faster tying the trash than you are and and you have all these opportunities to get fast at it you know so um it's kind of like that and you know it's just i i feel super blessed with it but it's it's more of a you know kind of trial by fire earning it with your Mm -hmm. grit earning Mm -hmm. it with 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 the work that you put in with the dedication you put in um, and continually doing it on, on the day-to-day mm-hmm. in terms of consistency. Mm-hmm. So how long were you at that first? Was it, a, it was called it was a French bistro? Yeah. How long were you there, and then how many jobs did you have after that? Like how so many I probably worked you? there about a year and a half, two years, and after that I got a, a gig as a private chef guy because I was a little bit, at the time, I'm like 19, 20, right? So I want to like make some coin. I want to, I want to yeah. make money. Right. So I, I, I had an opportunity and at the time we're talking like $8 an hour is, is how much yeah. you get paid. Yeah. No overtime. Cause you, they, the, you work the overtime, but you don't get paid as overtime right. because you know, restaurants are, are beasts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I took a private chef job and basically what I was doing was just reinterpreting the dishes that I learned there, right. you know, like, like just Okay, I'm gonna do a rack of lamb that's thyme scented with a mustard rub on it, and like you know, just taking all these dishes that I was learning there, and then cooking it for a family and making some money, and that was cool because it gave me the platform to transition to the next job, which was in Venice, um, and that was with Hans Brock and Wagner. He's uh, super super cool, down to earth guy. He taught me how to make spatzel and goulash and like all these different Hungarian dishes. It was really cool. So opened up that restaurant with him. And then I got word Gordon Ramsay was coming in, you know, and I applied, applied, applied. I sent so many emails. They probably were, were like just, yeah. you know, like annoyed by me. But I really wanted to work for him just due to like Kitchen Nightmares was a big thing for me. I love that show. You mm-hmm. know, the vintage ones. Uh, right. Like he was like a role model essentially for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just – he stood for quality, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he – and he fought for it. And he didn't care – 
people hate on him because he gets so angry and upset, but they don't understand that like he's getting angry and upset because that quail died for you or that chicken died for you. Right. And and it's like he's looking at respected. it from a very logical standpoint. Yeah, yeah. like like <laughs> you just burnt that and now it's gonna yeah. you have to redo another one or whatever. And it's like he cares about the food so much that he he, he lashes out like that. And did, did you ever just sorry? I, I just thought about this, but did you ever go to culinary arts school or ever no, think like, about like it? No, like I said, I got a CIA textbook off yeah. of Amazon used. Yeah. This is like thirteen fifty seven or something like that. And do you ever think that you should have gone or no? I don't see now. I don't want to steer people in the wrong direction right. and stuff. But it's like forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. That would have changed my course. Yeah, right? right. And most of the education that I was getting. I'll just answer your question with a quick example. I had a dude that barely spoke English. I was working next to him, and he was making crips, these thin pancakes. Mm -hmm. And he was making five at a time, right? And he was chilling, doing it. They were perfect, beautiful. Culinary student right next to me is making crepes. She's doing one at a time. And she's struggling. They're sticking to the pan, and she starts crying and breaking down because they're sticking to the pan. Mm. So early on, you know, like I had that comparison of like these culinary students, and she was so like, ego driven and like always right and all that and this dude right here is just grinding working and like doing it flawlessly yeah. i had a different perspective on it from when mm -hmm. i went because when i got into the the restaurant you know game or whatever it wasn't it wasn't like how it is now it wasn't trendy to be a chef it wasn't right. like you know right yeah, yeah. now cool. it's like chefs are the new celebrities yeah and it's i mean like it's cool and you embrace it and and, and that's awesome and I, at like seven years in, I've been doing this 13, 14 years now, seven years in, I could feel that shift where it was like people were kind of getting glorified and, you know, like mm -hmm. put up on these mm -hmm. pedestals and stuff, which is great. It's great for the industry. But as long as you go into something with the intention of like having those pure intentions mm -hmm. of I want to go and do this because this is what makes me happy. Right. Not I want to go and make a crap load of money or I want right. to go and get fame right, right. or whatever. Those Your intentions run through and, yeah. and, and are transparent with your customers, but also your employees. Mm -hmm. And thinking back to those early days, did, did it come natural to you? Did you feel like you had like an inherent ability to just kind of, you know, like a knack for this stuff to get it going or, or did, was it difficult to like, when you started becoming an executive chef to like actually run the show? No, it was hard. And, and what I did was I also saw a lot of my friends rising through the ranks very quickly and then them having fallacies with that. Yeah. So what I did was I held out. Like I, I it took me, 10 years until I took that first executive chef's job. And I, I, I waited, waited, waited. And, you know, that, that was something that was a key to my success was, was, was holding out to, to run the show until I knew how to run the show. How were you able you to know? have that sort of patience to do that? Because I feel like a lot of days, I even myself, I'm just like, I want to get, I know I can get to that point and I could be there now, but I'm impatient. So how do you, what is it, do you trick yourself to have that mindset or do you just say to yourself that I know I'm going to get there. It's just a matter of time. I think it's, it, it, there's a lot of different factors on that. There's faith, it, faith in yourself, confidence, um, and also ego setting the ego aside and being like, yeah, I can set up three of these mics and, and all the sound levels and, you know, set up the whole thing very quickly and respecting that art of the craft. Yeah. respecting the the why do you choose this microphone why do you have this setup why do you have these cables you know like understanding that side of the craft uh as opposed to jumping to the end goal of like i want to be a famous podcaster or a famous you know interviewer or something like that what what is it about interviewing that you like mm -hmm. and why mm -hmm. and then how do you ask better questions going deep into it like that 
that's where my mind's at. Is like, how do I become a better chef? How do I become a better boss? How do I make better chicken? Even still, like people come at us like, oh, your chicken is amazing. So it's the best, right? And, and my response and, and what I'm trying to train my staff is, is like, like we appreciate that so much and we're so grateful that they enjoy our food, but we're still students and we're still humble and, and we still can learn. Just because, you know, someone says you're, you're the top or whatever, the day you think you're, you're, you're the ish, you're the best, that's the day you start going down. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Downhill. So right. for me, to answer your question is you stay a student. You stay humble and, and, and you grind. And, yeah. and you learn about all the aspects to the business of whatever it is you're pursuing, whatever craft it is you're pursuing, mm -hmm. so that when the time does come, you know how to, like, crank it out. Right. Mamba, really men Mamba mentality. Yeah. Yeah, Mamba mentality. Speaking of um, Gordon Ramsay, did you you said he sent all these emails? Did you ever get a job with him? Yeah, so I got a job. Gordon Ramsay at the London. We got yeah. a. Uh, I think it was one. That was or, at the SLS. Two. No, that was at uh, the London Hotel. Oh, the London Hotel. Okay. Yeah, it was on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. Uh, I think they closed. Yeah, I don't think it's there anymore. Yeah, but we got two Michelin stars at the time, yeah. so that was really dope. Was wow. it like the only LA restaurant with a Michelin star? Yeah, I mean that, <laughs> Melise, a few others, and yeah. it was it was really really cool to be a part of that, and and that that education in itself was right. like so so key, and it was funny because I was getting paid like at that time maybe ten bucks an hour, and I felt like I was I was getting college. Yeah. And getting paid to go to college, you know, right. and so what was really cool about that was the, the education, and then and then translating that into working for Thomas Keller and utilizing all the stuff from Gordon Ramsay that I learned. And that's up north. We opened up Beverly Hills. So I was part yeah. of the opening uh, team of Bouchon in Beverly Hills. And so, were you working with uh, Chef what's his name Tim at OTM? Hollinsworth. Hollingsworth? Tim Hollingsworth, he was at uh, French Laundry. Yeah, he was yeah. running French Laundry. Right. And uh, I, I was just a part of the opening team with Bouchon. And uh, kind of in between all that, simultaneously, too, I was butchering fish for Nobu Matsuhisa about like six, seven hours in the morning. And then I would go do my PM shifts for these guys. And so that was like 16 to 18-hour days. Wow. And that was a good lesson on like – like take care of yourself you know like like my body went through it i was doing like two three monsters a day and yeah. i kind of went insane i i you know i was just like i literally would go to work and then go home uh you know like eat a yogurt and then go to the next job you I'm know curious though, what was like pushing you like every single day like I, I know you had this kind of vision of where you wanted to be but did you ever for a second think like what if this doesn't work out? Like, what am I going to do? Like, Oh yeah, hundred percent. I yeah. mean, even still like, what is it that pushes me? It's still here. It's maybe even more, more powerful now than it was then because now I have 30 people that are depending on me right. for their, their livelihood. And then I have a thousand people out there that I'm trying to serve, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. In, in one day. So the fire just keeps burning, you know, like, like throwing it back to that wheel going down, downhill, you know, it just keeps adding on more and more and more, you know? Um, but the, the motivation and, 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 and everything behind that was just, it's a mindset. It's like, you know, like stuff that like Nipsey Hussle's talking about, yeah. Mamba mentality, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's like, you knew this is what you wanted to do. This is like what your life's calling was. Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of, you pick and choose it. I, I don't feel like it was like a, like a calling kind of thing. It was like, this is what I wanted to be really, really good at, yeah. you know? And, and also different at, because I feel like a lot of chefs won't take this 13 years in, I'm served Nashville hot chicken, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. like fried chicken. That's it. That's, yeah. that's everything on the menu. Yeah. You know, where's, where, how is their ego getting sated? 
Yeah. How is their creativity being sated and stuff right. like that? Yeah. But coming from where, where I came from and what inspired me and motivated me to be a chef, if it checks all the boxes, like I'm good. Like, like I'm excited, inspired, yeah. you know? And speaking of like the, the, I guess, formal education aspect of it, like if you did go to culinary school, like do you think that would have sucked any creativity out of kind of like how you've gone about things? And, oh, yeah. And, and mo- like motivation-wise, do you think like it would have changed like your motivation towards like what you were doing? Like you had to make money to pay off your loans yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah, when money's a factor, when when you know you're you're driven by money like i'm gonna get into this because i want money you know like then obviously that that changes your your course and so when you owe that much money you're thinking about money yeah then also on it your ego like humility is super important to me being humble like i can learn from you guys like i know you're interviewing me but it's like my my mindset is like you know I, you can learn from anybody yeah you know and being being humble in that sense um and I feel like a lot of the culinary students that I've come across, they know or they think they know how to do it. There's like f- thousands of ways to make a sauce, like a bechamel yeah. sauce, you know, and they teach you one or two ways. And then they're like, I know how to do it because I had that CIA thing. Well, you throw it back to like some of the OG French chefs. How did they do it? You know, yeah, it's different than culinary school, but it's like, who's to say? Like your grandma maybe makes... I don't know, like, I don't know, tabbouleh maybe differently like, yeah, yeah. Than, than, than somebody else. And yeah. it's like, maybe it has more lime juice or lemon juice or more parsley, less tomatoes, you know, like, and everyone's different. And that's the beautiful thing about life is that everybody's different. And growing up in LA in this mix of culture where it's like, there's everybody, you know, yeah. that's something that I was super grateful for that has shaped me in my career as a chef is diversity and embracing it, right. embracing, embracing yeah. the fact that you know, no two grandmas make tabbouleh the same way. For sure. And Agreed. don't talk about baklava. No, no, no. I agree. Yeah. I Some agree. grandmas don't even make it. <laughs> yeah. But how was the experience at Bouchon and was that the last experience you had working for someone before you ventured off on your own? Yeah. So I, uh, at Bouchon, it was amazing because I was in charge of all the, like the fish items. Okay. So I was chef de party de poissonnier. And that's like in charge of fish, you know, okay. and uh, basically, basically, yeah, <laughs> like cleaning fish, fish or cooking fish or everything. Uh, well, they had prep guys cleaning all the fish in the morning yeah. and, and, and butchering it. But at the time, I think they saw the Nobu tack on my resume and they're like, OK, let's put him on fish. Yeah. He's probably going to be really good at yeah. it. And uh, they're tactful and smart, you know, like their whole crew. Um, but it, it was amazing because it taught me systems that I implement dated like even like right now, like with isolation of protein versus vegetables versus dry goods, like like how how kitchens are structured. Right. The the ambiance, an order comes in and a, a chef calls it out. Order in five sandos and one breast quarter, and the guys respond, "Yes, chef." That's a brigade system. Yeah. You know, that's like a fine dining system in a fried chicken restaurant, blasting Biggie. Right. You know, mace and all these like yeah. Yeah. crazy like throwback Tupac. You know, yeah. Yeah. that's that's what shaped it. You know, yeah. and understanding that diversity that's that's uh, shaped myself as mm-hmm. a, a chef and all that. But tons of systems. Yeah. To answer your question, in terms of Bouchon, you also talked about Bourdain early on that you were reading some of his books, or you know, you I assume also looked up to him. What is it that you've learned from his work and his legacy? What I liked about Bourdain the most was was my kind of first introduction to him was his, you know, his prose, the way he wrote about cooking and, and, and in the kitchens with, with all the different line guys, like mostly Latino line guys and stuff like that. It seemed like folklore to me. It was something when I was reading it, it felt like I, I was like 
hearing a story about a boat and the captain on the boat and all that stuff. And it was such a magical thing. So, so throwing it back to Kitchen Confidential, mm-hmm. one of his first books, it was he, 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 the way he wrote about it, you could tell he had a passion about it because obviously he was a chef at Les Halls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he shared that, that joy of being a chef and running a kitchen and, and things that in the kitchen that made him happy, whether it's his cigarette break, you know, yeah. uh, in between, you know, firing 40 steaks and the fact that Emilio over here can't speak a, a lick of English, yeah. but he's got a lisp and it's like super funny, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that, that culture that like, I just fell in love with that. The way yeah. he wrote about it was such a yeah. artful way. And, and it made me want to, um, like just dive into that culture, dive mm-hmm. into that lore, you yeah. know? So you're working as a chef. What, how does the idea for Helen come about? Yeah, so I mean, so to segue back to your question, after Bouchon, I uh, had an opportunity to run La Poubelle. Okay, oh, this, okay. Uh, so that small, wasn't... Yeah, okay. yeah so I, I, I got some of my footing running a restaurant. Got it. Because I wasn't at Bouchon. Obviously, I wasn't in charge, like, fully. You know, he's Thomas Keller and yeah. his So, so this one you started yourself. So I started running a, a French restaurant. Um, Still around, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jacqueline Coster, Francoise Coster. Uh I started running this restaurant with my wife, Amanda Chapman. And, uh, did you, when did you meet your wife, by the way? I, I met her at a short stint job. I was a host, you know, the guy that seats you, yeah. at an Indian restaurant on Franklin as well. Okay. So I've always just been working. Like, work is, like, yeah. what makes me happy. Yeah. So I was a host there, uh, and I met her, and she was just, like... She was, like, a diner? Like, she was eating? She was a waitress. Oh, okay. And she uh, was from the South, and, and she moved out here. She had an indie rock band. Uh, I don't know if one of the CDs is over there. Uh, super dope. Like, yeah. like she's just super yeah. fine, yeah. you know, blonde woman that I was just like, wow, you know. <laughs> but, like, had an edge to her with, like, tattoos. And, you know, I just kind of, like, was enamored. But she didn't want to get at me because I was this 18-year-old kid that was a host at a so this way Indian restaurant. Oh, yeah, way this back. Is, yeah, I was, 18, she was like, there, like, in the early days. Yeah. So she's, like, she's five five years older than me okay. something like that but um at the time i was 18 she's you know 23 and like this 18 this year old chump who's yeah. this guy he's a host he drives <laughs> a 1985 station wagon mercedes right. you know 280 te that's the color of poop you know like that's my first car yeah, and he's yeah. doing landscaping out of that too on the side you know it's like um i was i wasn't really anybody and i didn't really have anything to offer so pause i don't know five years or whatever she does her thing and I become a chef and I start doing my stuff. And then five, six years later, uh, I, I, I almost hit her with a motorcycle. I ran into her. I was driving a, by chance. Uh, yeah. Like you guys hadn't kept in touch. No. And I almost hit her Jeez. with a motorcycle and she gave me the nastiest stare Yeah, because and that I just was, turned you on. Huh? And that just turned you on. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, it was just like, damn. And then, so I found out she worked at La Poubelle. Wow. And that's where did she worked. Did you remember her? Like from yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, you did. Yeah, you I, how could you not remember, did she remember you? Tattooed blonde girl? I think she remembered me. Yeah. It's, I, I would always slide into her, check it out, yeah. MySpace DMs. Ooh, there you go. That's I remember big. those. That's I remember those. Yeah. PC those were the real PC. relationships. Those were the ones Bulletins. that are working. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so MySpace yeah. was big. That's a, a, a big way of how I was yeah. communicating with her. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so she was working at La Poubelle. She was running that restaurant okay. at that time, and she was doing her music. She, she was wasn't actually, a chef, was she? No, no. She was a like, front of the house manager. She was actually dating one of the killers. Uh, okay. Uh, like, guitar. Uh, like, they have, like, four or five guitarists yeah. that are... Yeah, that who's are famous big band? 
Huh? And who's famous now? No, I'm, no, well, no, man. I, um, it, it's just you know. So I was I was grateful that she was willing to take a chance on me because yeah. at the time I was just a chef at Bouchon, yeah. and then I started running La Poubelle with her, and it turns out we had a we had a knack. We had this this chemistry of running this restaurant that just really we took this restaurant and and extrapolated like four hundred percent sales increase. Well. You know, in a matter of like three years, and we're like, wow, you know, we could do this for ourselves. And, you know, like it gave us the confidence. It was, trust me, it was hard work, but it gave us the confidence knowing, like, hey, we can start. We can, it's possible. You can accomplish whatever you, you want. And then the tipping yeah. point was when my father passed away, I found him. It was a very, I was running service at La Poubelle. One of his friends came by and was like, hey, he missed a 3D club meeting. He never misses these, like, these geeky 3D club meetings where yeah. it's like, Everyone's just talking about anaglyph and, right. you know, like crazy, you know, and he missed it. And so then I go back to his uh, apartment and it was weird. It felt like it was morning, but it was actually nighttime because the newspaper was still there. Mm. You know, the lights were on. Yeah, yeah. Like it was really awkward. Like you could smell coffee. and But it was like nine o'clock at night and I had a key, opened it up. And then I found him just out of the shower on the floor, oh, like shit. just stone cold. Wow. And that experience was something that made me realize like life is is very fragile and it's very short and you need to go out and do whatever it is you want to do and 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 do it and not be afraid of it mm. don't let money be a hindrance don't let ethnicity don't let anything anything that you feel may be a hindrance to you just go and do it you're you're going to die soon you know what i mean life is very short and it was yeah. a very shocking uh moment for me but after running la Poubelle for 3 years and then that happening you know I realized like, okay, like let's, let's go, like, let's, let's do, let's do it. Let's yeah. create, create our own thing here and, and do it. It's going to be mm-hmm. hard. And, and trust me, like even from that point, like that was very difficult. But then six months later, a year later, there's even, even lately it's, it's constantly a struggle, but I love it because it's like challenging and, you know, I mean, that's, um, a, that's inevitable, right? Like you're going to struggle. There's always going to be challenges with, with whatever like you do that's actually meaningful. Right. And yeah. Like, progressing you forward but it's kind of how you the attitude you bring to it right? yeah and knowing that, that that's what it's going to be so yeah so why hot chicken so i was out in nashville uh doing a stage what a stage is is um you're doing a what sorry stage okay. so st- stagier is, is kind of where uh, s-t-a-g-i-e-r it's a french okay. word and um basically what you do is you just <clears throat> go in and you you work your butt off for free so it's like an apprenticeship yeah but this was 10 years after being a chef. Okay. Mm. Uh, so I got 10 years experience, like, like executive yeah, chef yeah. level. And I go into these, this, this restaurant and I show up at 6 a.m. And then I leave at, I don't know, 1 a.m. But why? What are, why are you doing Because I wanted to learn about Southern uh, antebellum cooking. Just randomly? Or is well, it because you were dating you, your now wife? Well, it was because at that point when, when my father passed, I was like, you know what? I want to learn about uh, antebellum Southern food. So okay. Hoppin' John, you know, like 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 leather britches, Got like it. these crazy Southern yeah. dishes that nobody knows about yeah. and the history behind it. And also like go and cook in the South. I, yeah. I fell in love with um, Nashville when I went out there. And so what I did was I booked a trip to Stage at a restaurant called Husk with uh, the chef Sean Brock. And... I was there, I was cooking, I was doing like 16, 17 hour days. And then I, one of, one of his chefs took me or recommended a hot chicken spot. And then I had hot chicken. So I was originally out there to learn this and maybe potentially work at that restaurant and, and cook in the South. But then I tasted hot chicken, you know, and I was like, holy, like, this is amazing. You can cuss. 
Huh? Well, I, oh. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, give us your actual reaction. <laughs> I've done a few uh, podcasts, and then the ones that I cuss on, I just look back and I'm like, God, oh yeah, like, okay, bro, okay. come on, yeah. For you the for the unless it's books. like really, books, yeah. yeah. If it's useful and it gets yeah. the point across, you know, it's like fuck that chicken was hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. so I, I had the the Nashville hot chicken and. I was so kind of my round world. What year, what, round what year is this? Like just for, for, this is probably like five years ago, four years okay, ago. Okay, so 2014, 2014-ish. Yeah, the very early, early phases. It was like mm-hmm. getting a taste. I got a taste, you know, you know that uh, Tiga song, Tiga, Tiga, Tiga. 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 <laughs> well, there's taste. a Tiga too. There is. Uh, this, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I had a taste of the hot chicken, um, and I, I, I just fell in love with it and wanted to bring it back to LA. And, and then that coupled with my father's passing, the experience as a chef at La Poubelle, the experience as a chef at Bouchon. You just felt like the stars aligned. It just aligned. clicked. It was everything. And so then I was like, you know what? I had good credit at the time. I took about $80,000 in uh, debt. So it wasn't like hard cash like an money. an SBA loan? Huh? No, I, wasn't, I couldn't qualify for it. SBA, small business. Yeah. You know, like I didn't have any back proof of uh, income coming yeah, in. Yeah. So I used credit cards and unsecured car loans hmm. to open up a food truck and uh that was you know uh when Helen Rays was born wow. know, that was called Helen Rays yeah our, our food truck was named Helen Rays and what I did is prior to opening the food truck I, I went out I met the families I ex- like like really tried to deep dive into the culture of what is Nashville hot chicken who are the people behind it yeah you know who are the families behind it who's doing it now like in Nashville like yeah the like who's who like it. yeah what is go, it like, go to a hot those. chicken place and, and ask yeah. them oh have you been to Bolton's mm. have you been to 400 degrees have mm. you been to pepper fire have you tried the the deep fried grilled cheese at pepper fire or have you had Bolton's ribs or how crazy is this have you ever had spaghetti with fried chicken mm. you know like go meet the people and the families behind it that that are doing it in Nashville and have been doing it for a long time. How long? How long? Like, is it like just ingrained in their culture there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's like Aki's been doing it for years. Bolton's been doing it for years. You have the Bishop family from Hattie B's has been Hattie doing B's, that. Yeah. You know, like it's. But meet the people. You know, like experience the culture. If you're going to represent something, do it in a manner in which you're paying homage and respect to the people that came before you. And so that's what I I was doing. This was even before Helen Rays existed. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say, yeah, I met Aki. Yeah, I had, you know, uh, uh, different meet in three places that were just like uh, insane. You yeah. know what I mean? Arnold's meet in three. Yeah. Their chest pie will give you like a heart attack, you know? <laughs> like I felt like they were putting like 20 chocolate uh, jello packets mm, yeah. into a one pie, you know? Like it's wow. like that rich, you know? Huh. Go experience uh, Batter's Box. Go yeah. have, um, you know, biscuits and gravy at 2 a.m. right across from Batter's Box at Hermitage Cafe. Mm. Go see the Hermitage Hotel. Go see the culture of Nashville and, yeah. and, and, and experience that. And was it called Nashville Hot Chicken? Like, was that a thing? Yeah, it oh, was it Nashville okay. Hot Chicken. Princess was, was uh, the first to kind of, like, do it, you okay. know, in the 20s, supposedly. And wow. it, was, it was based on revenge. Uh, a woman who was trying to get back at a... Uh, a, a gentleman that smelled like another woman, basically, uh, and he was coming home, and you know it, it's it's insane. But also, she just spiced the shit out of that chicken. Yeah, she oh made it extreme. God. But then he ended up liking it, and then he shared <laughs> it with his friends. Oh, this is actually really good. Like, yeah. it's supposed to kill me right now, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and then they, the, you know, but what about chicken. what about it? Give, gave you that kind of like confidence that like I'm gonna go eighty thousand dollars in debt and I'm gonna start this thing out of this one item hot chicken. I I felt like you know it it 
it embodied what I was as a chef and, and what, you know, uh, spoke to me about being a chef, which is hard work, which is, um, you know, dedication, history, yeah. you know, culture. It, it, it spoke to me in a way because of my upbringing, because of where I grew up and all that stuff where it just clicked. But also I never had fried chicken that good yeah. in these huge pieces. And it's a shame that like, LA does like tenders and you know uh, like a lot of that stuff because nuggets. Well, you go out, you go out to Nashville, and no one's ordering tenders, no one's ordering sandals. They're all ordering breast quarter or leg quarter. And it's funny because how you really test a true Nashville chicken spot is how their quarter pieces are cooked. Mm. And so it's sad that there's a lot of like hot chicken nowadays, right. and they don't even have quarter pieces, which is how the dish the originated. Right. Yeah. So. But, you know, like, it's cool. It's L.A. People like tenders. They like sandals. Right. Well, you know, they're going to just take whatever is there and just add a twist to it because it's L.A., right? Yeah. Like, we have but to do something it, different. But, but to me, culture and history and, and all that, like, when people ask me, what's your favorite thing? I, I, I get down with the breast quarter and collard greens all day. That's I'm good. And I'll do it hot or extra hot and, and use the bread. And, like, that's a perfect meal to me, you know. And, and the way those quarters are cooked is such a beautiful thing. And it takes – years of like perfecting but also meeting the meeting the people and right. understanding you know like how are they doing it um what they're and they they're not wanting to share mm-hmm. at all you yeah. know so like like trying to pick their brains and you know it's it, it, it just spoke to me so oh. why Nashville hot chicken and because it was something that i felt like i could represent in los angeles and also kind of elevate at, at the same time to a certain degree you know, to this modern kind of. And did you generation. do any like, you know, just like testing before you like actually launch, like ask friends to like try it out or like, oh, would, you guys, yeah. would you guys eat this? Like, so our like, recipe is the 256 um, rendition. So huh. because I work for Thomas Keller and Gordon Ramsay, you know, uh, recipes are scaled out by grams and grams being like you put it on a scale and that's 10 grams of this, 10 grams of that, et cetera. Um, I was able to tweak it. Um, by the gram mm. and then scale it, you know, but I would be like, oh, okay, it's a little too much cayenne or it's a little bit too much this, that, and just tone it down. And then, then you would taste a new flavor profile and you'd be like, you know what? It doesn't have that, you know, that, that spunk that or, kick, or yeah. mustiness, you mm. know? So what, what do we take away? What are mm. we going to add? And so, yeah, there was a lot of tweaking in my, uh, apartment in, uh, and why, why a truck? Like, why not just start with a... That's all I could afford. Okay. So I couldn't uh, open a restaurant because... So it was just you and Amanda? I had one employee from Inglewood. Hmm. Yeah. And where would you guys Shout go with Chris. this truck? Huh? Where we went you to, like, your typical spots. We go to Abbott Kinney. We go to downtown Farmer's Market. We go to, like, like kind of, you know, food trucky spots. Yeah. We wouldn't make any money. Like, it wasn't... Uh, no one... When we started serving National Hot Chicken, nobody knew what it was. No, yeah, for like sure. no one. Yeah, we had no fucking clue. Now yeah. it's like I, I gotta every change. Yeah. Well, every I gotta corner. change my we'll algorithm on Instagram because yeah. every every <laughs> other hot chicken spot is like popping up on my feed and like new ones every day. And I'm getting so like I wanna like. I want to see other stuff. I don't think you can change your algorithm. <laughs> well, ma- yeah, but you it's just got to like, unfollow Howlin' Rays yeah. and just everything. It's just, just everything. Start a and separate it's, account. It's insane, but um, it's cool though. I mean, you know, to to be able to be a part of that and inspire. I just hope it doesn't get 
like watered down like poke or something like you know like that's not it's it's not what hot chicken is it's like one of those i I was gonna say that hopefully it's not one of those trends like people are calling it hot chicken but it's not hot chicken yeah well i mean for us at least to speak for ourselves we've been open three years and you know like we're we're extremely grateful that we serve more customers each day than we have like the week prior so like now we're serving like a thousand two hundred people a day when we first opened we were serving like 300 so for us i pretty impressive yeah Oh, yeah. No, I feel like for, for Helen Ray's and what we're doing, it is, yeah, it's Nashville Hot Chicken, but there's something a little bit more special to the hospitality and the crew and the culture yeah. and, and all that stuff that I feel like people are, like, you know, a little bit more drawn to, you know? And, yes, it's Nashville Hot Chicken. That's our platform. Right. But how we're doing it is something that yeah. we see a lot of, like, other maybe restaurants emulating or trying to kind of emulate and stuff. But so, it, yeah. for me, it's not so much – if it's like poke or whatever, it's, it's, it's more about like the culture of what we're doing here, you know, is, is, is much more prevalent than just the fact that it's natural. Right, it's not, it's not, you can't replicate culture and the community that you've built. You can change your product tomorrow and you'll still be fine. In my opinion. But I do want to set the record straight. What is Nashville hot chicken? Like what like for those restaurants that are trying to get into it and they don't really they're not that's not that's not what they're serving. Like what what is it really? So Nashville hot chicken is um like it was really born as a quarter piece of chicken, quarter being one fourth, mm-hmm. and uh that was fried and then hit with Nashville hot chicken, you know, uh like like seasoning. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna walk through the whole process. Yeah. And then you have this chicken that's a uh, Nashville chicken, and it's served on top of bread, okay, like white bread. And mm-hmm. then it's pickles on top, and that's it. That is it. That's it. And you would get it in a brown paper bag that's covered in grease. No sando. That's this. We're talking Nashville hot chicken. Right. Not what it can be inside. So yeah. if you go to Prince's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like they don't have a sandwich. It's right. It's wings, just a chicken. breast quarters. You know, like they'll have tenders, but yeah. that's how it's served. That's right. how. That's what if you. Wikipedia Nashville Hot Chicken, you know, it'll have more. Oh, it has a Wikipedia? Okay. Yeah, you yeah. have more info. And then it's cool because, like, other chefs, like Bolton's, they'll yeah. do their own take. They'll do hot fish. They'll mm. do chicken on a stick oh, nice. and things like that. How how did you come up with the name Howlin' Reese? So Howlin' Wolf was uh, playing the first time I had a hot chicken. <laughs> and and one of the third Wait, times. Is that Duran Duran? Howlin' Wolf. Uh, no. He's a blues musician. Oh, never mind. I'm thinking yeah. of another song. No, you're good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Howlin' Wolf is uh, – <laughs> uh, a blues guy uh, okay. that you know w- was just uh, his voice was so distinct and yeah. you know um, he he was playing uh, one of the first times I had it and then Ray Zone was my father's name yeah. so I just took oh. half of Helen Wolf and half of Ray Zone and Helen Ray's and that was it. Very cool. So, so you start yeah, you, you open up the truck like how does it go from there like how quickly does that it, was it, it was it was very hard. We I got, remember the truck. I remember the truck days. Yeah. Were you guys at First Fridays? Like, where are you guys? Like, you guys we did that. Them? Yeah, that was, that was all right. And that was like right around the time these trucks were like all kind of popping out, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a grind, you know. Like, I had one fryer. Uh, this truck was all I could afford was a. I took over a taco truck, so like it was yeah. a taco, oh, whited out taco truck, and then I I blacked it out and put Helen Rays on it, and I had one fryer. And shout out to Jack Avizidian at La Raza. Huh? We're actually Armenian, so we know how to pronounce okay. it. Uh, Jack Avedizian? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jack Avedizian <laughs> over at La Raza Foods. He uh, helped g- secure this truck, all that stuff. And, you know, we still stay in contact. And good dude that really helped us kind of transition from just a truck, just to a truck. You know, right. like normally they lease year leases. We got a six-month lease, which was super dope. Um, yeah, a really cool, really cool guy. 
Uh, so the truck was 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 hard, man. One fryer, you know. Hard not because of how many customers. people, like how much demand you guys had. Like no, people, the demand oh. wasn't there. Like okay. it wasn't. <laughs> oh, this is like super. Like we're, just, it, we're yeah. serving like th thirty people a day. You yeah. know, forty people if we're. How, how long did that last? The thirty people a day. It grew. I mean, so like it went from thirty to maybe fifty, then to sixty. Yeah. You know, and then sixty. And they, but did you think in that time that like, oh, this is still a good idea? No, I was going to close it because I was, I was actually really depressed because I uh, was underwater uh, like 80000 and I barely could cut a check for my employee, mm. one employee. Mm. And how am I going to pay for a rent for an apartment? You, you and Amanda obviously weren't making any money like at that time. No, we weren't. Yeah. You know, like It was all debt that paid for all that stuff. Mm. Did you have to keep reminding yourself that like you would rather be doing that and not making money than working somewhere else and – not you know having kind of but of but in those moments of darkness and and it's it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Sure, it's like absolutely. where is this going? Yeah. I mean, there was one point where you just want one silver line, like something, like some yeah. And then there would be guys like that have these like franchises. Like we've turned down a lot yeah. of opportunities sure, to yeah. open up twenty, ten, two, three, one in Atlanta. All we turned down a lot just to be here. And it's funny is like, look at what I'm like spending my time on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As opposed to doing that. And that's what I say about intentions is when your intentions are pure mm -hmm. and clear, yeah. then it really resonates with people. But um, even in the truck, there was guys like approaching us, want to take the concept, let's blow it up, let's open up like 10 of these and then 10 of these over there. And uh, franchise, it wasn't, franchise, franchise. Yeah, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to introduce Los Angeles to Nashville Hot Chicken. Be my own boss, do it, do it my way. Yeah. You know, not have to be told to do certain things. Who cares if I have a, a felon? Who cares if I want to pay a guy twenty, thirty an hour? You know what I mean? That's on me. You know, my numbers are tight enough where I want to take care of people. I'm not going to cut people's hours. You know, who cares if I want to give away forty sandwiches a day, a hundred sandwiches a day? You know, that's on me. And so that's 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 how it is. And um, but those moments of darkness in the truck. Those were hard. Those were very, very difficult. How long did that last? Uh, we only had it six months. Not like thank, mm -hmm. thankfully, we only mm -hmm. signed a six-month lease. You outgrew it. No, um, we we <laughs> closed the truck like, very, on a like, deal. Positive. We were okay. gonna, we had a deal locked in for a spot to open a restaurant because I've been in restaurants my whole life. So working in a food truck, if you can imagine using certain pieces of equipment, having a dishwasher, having the space tools yeah you know at space and yeah. on a hot and you day don't have to LA. like sandbag things and yeah. you know like it's like because you're out in the desert or whatever yeah. you know so i i would needed to get into a brick and mortar i needed to get in a spot and uh, went through a few different spots nothing really worked out the truck was closed uh, we didn't know what to say to the media the media was asking us where are they going you know we didn't know what, but you guys had traction that. at that point to the point that the media was asking yeah, well, I think what happened was, like I said, by me holding out as a chef for such a long time, it uh, gave me a little bit of clout in terms of like, okay, you know, it's not like your average truck or whatever. Right, right. It's like it's this guy good. is, yeah. he's been in the game for yeah. such a long so time. So something's going to happen. Yeah, so because I was in when they were writing about Bouchon, I was in when they were writing about Gordon Ramsay, and they were seeing me because I was in when they were writing about La Poubelle. So for those six, seven years, I established connections and relationships with these these individuals right. who write with yeah. food. So community. they kept tabs on like what you're up to. Exactly, and, yeah. you know, because they know I've 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 been around, you know. Right. So but uh, yeah, we didn't have a location or anything like that. And then we went over to um, 
some uh, like uh, LA Food Fest or some something like that. And I, I, or no, we went to uh, the one LA Times Food Bowl or something oh, like yeah. that. So. And then I ran into Alvin Kylon, um, who who did Unit 120 here. Mm. He was uh, one of the founders of Egg Slut, uh, creator of that, and now he's doing. Um, the burger show um, with uh, First We Feast. Mm, so just um, like an all-around L.A. restaurateur. Yeah, and yeah. so I met with him, and he was coming into right next door right here yeah. to this this thing and doing the concept unit at 120. He's like, bro, you should come down, check it out, meet the landlord, George Yu. Uh, we met him, and he was super accommodating and, and wanted to have us, and was uh, it was like kind of like uh, a, an amazing fit, you know. Yeah. He was going to help us out, we yeah. going to help him out, you know. And what about this location was he so like bullish on? That even got you bullish on it. I just like the rawness of it. Uh, truthfully, to put it a matter of fact, right next to Prince's, there's a barber shop. And every time I go to Prince's, they say to me, this is an appropriate time to cuss. Let me line that shit up, bro. <laughs> when you're quoting I have guys. a widow's peak, right? Yeah. So my hairline is not straight. Trust me, me too, man. Yeah, but mine's like a... I nice, don't even have a hairline anymore. Well, I have so. a hard widow's <laughs> yeah. peak, right? Yeah, yeah. So every time I go to these barber shops or walk by, when I was going to get Prince's, the guys are like, hey, bro, let me line that shit up. You cook it right now. And so they want to like make my hair straight, but they yeah. don't know that the widow's peak will grow in more. It'll look yeah. like green or weird. Yeah, right. So I have to leave it natural. But here we are in Chinatown, and there's this little barbershop right there. Uh. Old, old women. We're talking like probably in their 60s, Did 70s. Did they say the same thing when you walked by? No. Oh, okay. I was like, but it yeah. made me think of that. <laughs> no, yeah. It made me think of that. I was like, how cool would it be to have a hot chicken spot right there? And it just, it just clicked too. Like there were some mornings where – um, I would walk by and I'd see like these Chinese chefs carrying pigs at five in the morning. You know, like it was. There's so many different things to it. You're like, just, like, let me drop. get some pork yeah. from that. We're gonna add some bacon to the menu. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I just thought it was amazing. Yeah. Like that reminded me of the South. It yeah. remi- like there was guys in the South that were supplying this like amazing restaurant, right? They're the mm-hmm. farmers and they don't have shoes on and they're delivering without shoes and like hair is going down to their butt. You know, like that. It's like it's cultural. It's raw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it, it really reminded me of that. You know, and uh, but also this is all this is all we had. Mm. We couldn't. This room even wasn't even here. We just opened 500 square feet. So the size of this. And we're sitting was, literally right behind or right next to the actual restaurant right now. Well, yeah. we're sitting next to the expansion, and then there's the restaurant. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, because okay. we store a lot of food every day to serve all those people. Right. So it was like. I, I don't know. It was it, it was all or nothing. So did you anticipate? I mean, like when you're like p- picking this location, like did you anticipate this line that you're gonna have? No, I mean, come on. Let's let's <laughs> let's talk about the the raw facts of the location. Yeah, you have no street signage. Right. So if someone's driving by, they don't know how Basically many us here. today. Yeah. Right. Know. Yeah. Uh, two, the parking is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Unless you have that that lot across the street is great. It's five dollars. There was nobody there, so it's. Zero uh, dollars our car's probably well, gone now. So. Yeah, so like you have five dollar lots <laughs> yeah. all around. Yeah. You have metered bad, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Parking, you know, really bad right there. Um, the building is—it's an older building. Yeah. You know. Um, also, like in terms of what's what's around, there's not too much around for like so foot traffic and other exactly. Things. Yeah. So it's not like oh, you know, you go to the Grove or whatever, right. and people are walking, and they're like, right. hey, let's go check that store out. Technically, it's a bad but, location. But they're yeah. like, what, what, yeah. is, what is Sprinkles? Oh, yeah. I want some muffins or yeah. whatever, and they go there. Yeah. So we're not going to cap into any of that. Yeah. You know, uh, We're also opening 11 to 4, uh, mm-hmm. five days a week. What, was, what, the, what, was, the, what was the idea behind that? Because I wanted to preserve my sanity, and I wanted to do something really, really, really well. So if I overextend myself then I'm going to lose my mind, you know? But and why not, like, 
at night instead of 11 to 4, like maybe well, like 7 to 4. at night it was four. a ghost town here. I mean, at day it was a little bit of a ghost town too, but mm. there was nobody here. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, also I wanted to be able to wake up in the morning prep. I, I was At the time I was doing a market side. So every day I would change my side. So here's some southern sides to give you an idea of it. Like, because Nashville hot chicken is southern. Mm-hmm. Um, so like succotash, you know, like I don't know if people know about that. You got braised mustard greens, baked beans, pork and beans, you know, like like all these different types of sides that were really inspiring me like like a, a cucumber salad mm. like like it's think of like some of the pickles like at Rafi's mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. like they're mm-hmm. amazing right yeah. and why is it that they're amazing like whether it's the marination or the fermentation to it and and all these different techniques where you take a vegetable something so humble i loved southern sides i loved these dishes and accoutrements chow chow mm-hmm. like if anybody's heard of chow chow and you know it's it's, it, was, it was something that spoke to me so much. And so I was making sides every day and changing them every okay. single day. So I'd be here at like 5 a.m. Which like logistically is like kind of hard to do, right? I mean, yeah, every I mean, day, think about you, it, I mean, it's not just you. It's like your whole team. Has well, to also, like, what are we going to do today? You know, like, <laughs> right. kind of thing. You yeah, know? yeah. And then figuring that out. You know, dirty rice. I don't know if you guys have had yeah. dirty rice mm-hmm. with like chicken livers, like the yeah, real this thing. This is all foreign to me. But here's but, the thing. But it's now like, that I know. You guys yeah. think you know maybe southern food mm. or you've had southern like Something. hot chicken places yeah. Yeah. and what are their sides? I've had the double western bacon. At, Macaroni at, and at cheese, <laughs> maybe collard greens. That's it. Yeah. So the, Gravy. French fries. But the thing that really inspired me and motivated me and excited me was doing those sides. And it mm. sucks because one part of doing this volume that we're doing is I couldn't, I couldn't keep, keep going on that. I was, I was like burning myself out. And so I had to stick to a few staple sides that, that we did. One of the, like the oil and vinegar slaw was super dope because like I hate when slaws have like mayo in it. Like there's no need for it. Yeah. yeah. Like it if you go to it. go to Carousel mm-hmm. and you have their cabbage, you know, like it's like it's amazing. Right. Like it's cleansing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it refreshes you. It, it uses the raw ingredients as the highlight of the dish. Yeah. And then a few spices if it's caraway seed or right. whatever they're putting in it, it's yeah. like bomb. Yeah. So those those side dishes really spoke to me, and so now going into like looking at another location stuff, I'm really excited about offering waffles all day. You know what I mean? Like off expanding the sides because we get yeah. a lot of requests. Because some of the OGs that would come when we were first open, they're like, "When are you gonna have that side back?" You know, like I miss your pork and beans, or you know, like I, I would do like, like I would do a mac and cheese, but I'd lace it with charred peppers. You mm-hmm. know, and, and they're so like luxurious mm-hmm. when you char the pepper and late. It's like. It's it's just amazing, you know, and right. really elevating those sides, and 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 then for our chefs, having them experience making those sides on the yeah. daily, you know, it's it's really inspiring. So, so you guys are actively looking for a second location because I, I did. <laughs> so we I got, remember yeah, seeing we got a video. A I think you said something about like the you want to really like keep this one location and like really go all in on it. So I don't know what's what's been happening. Yeah. Here. So. <clears throat> When we first opened, we were five days a week. Now we're six days a week. Now we're open till like seven or, or yeah. whenever the line's done. You know, if you get in line at seven, we still serve you. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we've kind of like not exhausted, but like we we do pre-orders here. You know, like it's a lot of pressure, a lot of PSI on one little location. You mm-hmm. know, so it could break very easily. So I feel like opening another location that's that's not too close but fairly close might alleviate it in a little bit of a larger setting uh, so that the product's easier to get for some Will people. Will the vibe a, be the same? It, it's a different... I don't think you'll ever be able to recreate this type of vibe. You know what I mean? Like, And that's something that I feel like movie owners, restaurant owners, all that stuff fail to recognize is like, 
oh, our sequel's going to be dope. No. Yeah, but yeah. the sequel mm-hmm. always sucks because you're resting on your laurels. Right. So how do I create, yeah, a similar type vibe or whatever, but that's going to be its own beast, its own animal. Has that even been done before where it's like a, com- a restaurant expands like that? In and then out. Really- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, that's great. Yeah. But like, um, <laughs> so I know we, we we had heard about Culver City. We had heard about Pasadena. Like, dude, is that even like in the world? Yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure Pasadena is probably like. Going to be the next locked one. Locked in. Yeah. Yeah. And why Pasadena? Well, it's, it's, why, well I, uh, I feel like it's really close right after 110. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, each restaurant can use each other as uh, like a balance, you know? Yeah. Um, it's and not then, too far from here. No, it's not. I mean, it's. 10, 15 minutes tops. Yeah, and it's right off the 110, yeah, so, yeah. It's, so it's, it's a right there, dope yeah. location. Yeah. I feel like Pasadena needs needs good food, mm. you know? Like, yeah. they don't well, have parts a, of it. Or authentic, parts cool, something right? more authentic than just kind of like the chain stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? So I feel like uh, there, there's an opening in the market mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Same like here. There was a, like, like Nashville Hot Chicken in L.A., that's an opening in the market, you know, uh, when we first did it. No one was doing it, you know, so. Why do you think people were so drawn to it and it has grown to the crowds that it's grown to because when it first came out, yeah, when it first came out, Pat and I heard about it. We've heard about it for years. We reached out uh, to you guys, like maybe like when we first started and it's only gotten bigger every single day. Probably. Um, it's hard for me to come out during, it was hard for me to come out during the day back then because it was open 11 to four and I was working at like nine to five, nine to six. But now I'm happy that, you know, you guys are expanding, moving closer to us. Why do you think people were so attracted to it and not only were attracted, continued to come and became evangelists. I mean, it has almost this cult following where people are constantly I know talking that about comes it. like once a week at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Crazy. I think uh, consistency, customer service, like the simple things, hooking people up, uh, not being stingy, uh, yeah. being respectful towards people. Um, I, I think uh, uh, respecting your regulars, treating them like family, treating everybody like family, not just regulars or VIP or whatever, you know, like it, it, I think that there's something warranted for that, that a lot of restaurants don't get right because maybe they're just jumping on a bandwagon or trying to do something, you know, like that they feel like is cool or whatever. But at the end of the day, like I'm a chef and I've been a chef for 14 years, you know, and what I love about being a chef is respecting those customers, respecting my staff and, and, and training them and developing them and um, being hospitable. It's a hospitality industry. Right. So to answer that question, it's very simple. It's not about, you know, the amount of hype or, or whatever. It's more because if you really, really think about it, probably like 60, 70 percent of those people in line are repeat guests. Yeah, I was telling Pat yeah. that for so, sure. Like most of these people have been here before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's people that I see every every time on Wednesday, every time on Thursday, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you do that? You 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 be a restaurant. You you be a chef. You be hospitable to people. Right. You welcome them. You know. You don't judge. You don't. Mm-hmm. You know. Like like that. Uh, running a restaurant. You know. Like like yeah. run it properly. I'm curious. Speaking of In and Out, is this model here, Howland Race? Is it scalable to that level number one and number two is that even something that you would want to consider to become an in and out yeah number one uh is it scalable i don't think so because that's burgers and fries it takes maybe two three minutes to cook a burger and fry and our quarters and like 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 the the way our preparation and stuff like that is a lot more prep heavy um and so it it isn't something where you could just plug and play and get a commissary and then just ship ship yeah. stuff. If anything, it'll if kill the quality if you tried, right? Yeah, and and also the the product that we use is is pretty expensive, and it's like 
a non-traditional business in the sense of our profit margins aren't right. maybe as high as a burger and fry right. or as a tender only or as a commodity chicken you know user or whatever you know we're using like really high quality product um because it's not about the bottom line for me like going back to intentions like why i did this and why i'm doing this um it's 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 about the culture and and sharing sharing something with the city so the scalability thing no is the answer on that because it wouldn't you know make sense to spend that much money for somebody that's opening up that many locations uh, on a product as expensive as we're using, but also it wouldn't make sense to pay the employees as well as we pay them because then how how are you gonna open up the next one and save enough money to open up the next one when it costs mm-hmm. 600, 700,000? Right. So the scalability, I'd say no. Could we? Yeah, but it, would diminish it, it doesn't align with the goals of why I first did this. Right. What are the missions of Howland Reese? So, like I said, you know, we want to introduce National Hot Chicken to the city of Los Angeles. Right? There's still a lot of people that haven't tried it, even yeah. to this day. Yeah. yeah. And then now, now, secondly, like it's kind of like developing its 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 own kind of thing. It's its own person, you know. And uh-huh. then my job is to kind of like listen to right. it. Now we have like a staff of like 30 people, right? Mm-hmm. Who range from you name it. You know, felon, Starbucks employee, the tenders and or tender greens employee, like anything you can think of. Home Depot, this, the customers. I have so many customers that come and yeah. want to work here because they see the vibe, the ambiance. So now I got those thirty people. Um, depending on how and race, right? How do I get those guys more money? Uh, you know, how do I how do I give them raises? How do I teach them and grow them right, right. as chefs, yeah. as restaurant operators? Then you have the customers. How do I make it easier for the customers, you know, like to get the product? Because obviously they love the product and there's a lot of people that don't go or, or don't show up because of the line. So how do I do that, you know? Um, how do I grow the company where we're not sacrificing quality, but we maintain the same standards and the same ambiance? Like it's not going to be exactly the same because I'm not, you know, living in a dream world and, and, and I think I can right. create, you know, lightning in a bottle again. Right, you can't create a Chinatown vibe in any city, honestly. Yeah, Especially yeah. in like a shopping center. Well, speaking like of impact, I mean, you guys have literally inspired this whole wave of like just other places that are kind of doing the same thing, like we're trying to do the same thing. Yeah, and that's, like, that's awesome. Within, yeah, I think in, like in Glendale alone, there's like probably like six six or seven at this point. <laughs> yeah. Which is insane. Which is, which is crazy. Insane. What do you think the correlation is? With Armenian culture and national hot chicken, <laughs> I don't know. Nothing. You know what? Know. I'll tell you what it is. Hype. No money. They think that, and that's why I see your mission, right? Is because a lot of companies they see an opportunity, they're like, we can make money, and that's great. That's that, that's their mission. That's their goal. I don't think they have an actual story. I guarantee you. I would guarantee you, ninety nine percent of the people have that has started hot chicken spot have not been to Nashville. More. <laughs> Hundred percent, probably that, not. That sucks. But that's again, that's, that's my goal. It's that's like just my guess. That's just my some, guess, right? Something that I fell in right, love with. Right, but that's just my guess, and I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of Armenian restaurants that have not been to Armenia, perhaps, but you know, they have their grandmother's recipes, or you know, Middle Eastern or Indian, like not necessarily from there, but they do that, right? But their mission and their story is different. I think your story, and I think that's why it resonates with a lot of people, is just like, hey, this is what we do, and and you like it, oh, great, you know, and that's it. Other places, it's more so profit is the goal and that's fine people need to make money that's that's their thing i'm not judging i'm just saying i think that's the main difference and i think that's why howland race has the following it does and it has the culture and the community that it does and others might not they serve good food whatever but they might not have that same following that same culture you know tomorrow if they open a second location will, will they do well yeah maybe but will they have that cult following i don't know probably not 
And I, I, I don't ever see things as a negative thing. Like, I think it's great because a lot of those places are family businesses that are families for putting sure. their money for together sure. or their homies yeah. putting money right. together and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's cool, you know, like that uh, we've kind of inspired that, you know, mm-hmm. as long as it's not watered down, you know. Like, and look, there's room for everybody. Look, you know, we mentioned in and out there's Shake Shack and yeah. there's Burger King. There's, I mean, like, there's I think it's important, of like clubs. you said, to like everyone be on the same page as far as like, yo, this is like a cultural thing. This goes deep, like a national, like if you're not at least trying to maintain a certain level of quality, like you're insulting like that culture essentially. Yeah, but I see, I'll let the, the people make those, right? you know, like I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm in my lane and I'm, I'm going to do the best I can and I'm yep. not going to listen to any noise about anything because I want to do the best I can for my crew, mm-hmm. for the customers, you know, and like that's my goal, for you sure. know, and I'm not going to, like talk bad about anybody yeah. regardless. Even yeah. if somebody does something really bad to me, I, I, I believe in rising above it and, and, and not like, you know, putting any shade on anybody, you know, because uh, it's like, I think yeah. it's cool. I think it's inspiring for me as, as a chef, as a business owner mm-hmm. that I've, I've touched people in, mm-hmm. in, in ways where mm-hmm. they like, they get inspired. Mm-hmm. That's super dope. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's cool. Speaking of the, like the next five to 10 years, besides, you know, slowly expanding Hal and raising kind of maintaining that quality as you expand, how, do you have your like mindset on any, anything else like any other restaurants or any other type of project you want to get into yeah so i mean like ace ace in the back pocket all that stuff like i've always had a few concepts and i have now luckily like if i wanted to open up a concept and develop some of the the crew here and do like uh, whether it's a diner concept or or something like really super southern or whatever i could do it just just like that like Mm -hmm. now i don't have to worry about that that uh the funding or you can get that sba loan yeah, SBA <laughs> loan, or I can take yeah. on investors to m- mitigate right. risk, or whatever. But right now, you know, I feel like um, with with Helen Ray's and and like you said, the next five years. I mean, opening that second location, seeing how that's that that goes, seeing if it affects this one or or whatnot, or if I need to transition this one into into that one completely, and it's a much easier, better ac- mm-hmm. accessible thing. And then this is kind of like becomes a legend, like a museum. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. Or make it a museum. Well, then you'd have to pay rent on it and all that. I mean, do you? I mean, I don't know. But but then what if what if this? Just if it's became... bringing traffic for the landlord, he might give it to you for free. Just a thought. You're yeah. Welcome. I mean, you never know what's gonna happen. You know, like <laughs> yeah. like like yeah. life is short and things things hit. So, but long term though, uh, opening that second location, developing the staff. I mean, like. Uh, a lot of my guys now are like they have multiple babies, you know, and like they finally mm-hmm. have cars and things like that, and it's super dope. Uh, and so giving those guys management roles and training them and 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 cultivating them. Like after this, I'm, I have a meeting with uh, Mario, Matt, and Cooper mm-hmm. about today's service, you know, because I was here earlier and I, I was trying to set them up on 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 the goals uh, for today on what you three are going to accomplish, and then I'm gonna recap it with them. Mm-hmm. And how do I become more of a mentor? Yeah. those five years is how to be a better mentor how do you empower boss. others exactly yeah. like how do i get what i didn't get as a chef but how do i put them on pedestals and bring them up you know mm-hmm. um and then set, we have our uh, website with the pre-order uh, system you know coming out so it's, it's super easy to book online there my wife's doing tons of merchandise um we get a lot of collaboration offers with uh, major clothing brands and things like that it's it's really cool all the different you know um like celebrity guests that we get is like such a blessing, you know. Um, Who's it, the most like? Is it Chrissy well, Teigen say, or something? No, or I, I don't say. I don't like to say names. Yeah, you don't like the like name that, drop. But <laughs> it's really cool, like pulling up on the phone, like getting a voicemail, you know. And they're like, "Hey, you know." And it, yeah. it, I, I think it's super humbling, and and it's uh, the guys get excited by it. What's yeah. cool is like I'll send the staff 
to go drop the food off so that they get to like meet him. Yeah. And, and that made their day, you know, and yeah. it's like just spreading love, you know, it's, it's such a, a good feeling, you know? Yeah. So in terms of those five years, you know, so we got the merch, you got the pre-order system, you got uh, the two locations. Uh, you, yeah, potentially maybe we open a Hell and Raise in Nashville. You know what I mean? I don't know, but those those two right there—that's that's a good three-year kind of thing. Yeah, you got to take me. it slow and kind of just. If I it. if I want to do it really right, yeah, yeah, could yeah. we open up twenty of these right now with a snap of yeah. fingers, just like that Thanos? Yes. Yeah. But what would that do? Right. We we've turned down major deals in Las Vegas hotels that gross like three billion a year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These huge hotels, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we've turned them down. And I actually said, heard no. about that too. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I'm curious. As somebody who's into food and restaurants, what are your three favorite restaurants in LA right now besides Howl and Ray's? I, it's, it's favorite restaurants are, are a hard thing because you go to different restaurants for different things. But okay, so give me three I, of the spots that you enjoy being a patron at because of the food, the service, the vibe, whatever it may be. So one of them I actually postmate a lot, La Estrella in uh, Pasadena. I'm really on their caldos, on their bras. Hmm. Like they're pretty bomb. You know, they La serve Estrella. It. La Australia, yeah, yeah. So I might like be butchering stars. it. Yeah, and uh, the caldo, so like the caldo de, uh, like like mariscos or or the yeah. caldo de albandigas, like so they serve you this broth in a deli court container, and then you get tortillas, you get uh, savoya cilantro, you get salsa roja, and then you get limes, and it's like this beautiful. Oh, and you get red rice, that that uh-huh. Mexican red rice bomb with corn <laughs> and peas in it, uh-huh. and it's like thirteen bucks for a postmate, like thirteen Whoa. fifteen bucks. Postmated everything. I to try that. Yeah, so and it's like <laughs> you feel it's like a deconstructed taco. No, it's a <laughs> caldo is like a soup. Oh wow! And you make your own tacos, and then you have the broth, and it's like it's, it's food for the soul, man. Like, yeah, it like, sounds I, like it for thirteen bucks too. Sounds great. Yeah, but it, it the the main kick on it, it tastes like a mom made it. It tastes like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, like, like super authentic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's super bomb. So La Estrella. Um, I honestly like I've been kind of. Working a lot, so I haven't really gone out to any like fancy, fancy yeah, sit down yeah. uh, restaurants yeah. as much. So a lot of my stuff is probably going to be grunge. That's yeah. fine. Uh, I had I had Smosh Town. Uh, is that the beef? The I don't know if they're still around. The I, think, I think they they're kind of similar situation that in, with you guys that they close it off for oh, a bit. Did? I don't know why. What was super um, cool is like I went, I had it, and the dad saw his son like getting hyped that I was there. <laughs> And he invited me in the back. It was at an auto store. Yeah. And he invited me in the back. He's like, hey, let's have some hookah. I have, yeah. some, I have some olives and cucumber and mint and some pita and hookah. Oh, you want some whiskey? And hookah. And hookah. And he, he, he invited me to the yeah. back with like his OG. Yeah, that's the vibe. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm vibe. saying, though. Yeah, that's that's, that, that was like. See, like they should, like hookah lounges should take that model, like food first, hookah second. Yeah. But that's also, also that. That that the hospitality, hospitality, yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, let me, hey, what, well, I mean, what that's do you like want? The Middle Eastern stuff. Do you need any? You yeah, want? Yeah, what yeah. Do you, oh, you want some rice? Yeah, hey, ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go you to know, the store, like, get some rice. Let's make yeah. some. Right yeah, it's like over hospitable. <laughs> yeah, I love. It. Yeah, it's like and, just like shut the fuck up a little bit. Sometimes. And I, love, and I, I went, and he invited me in the bag, and I was just yeah. like, wow. And that that was like the same experience that you get when you go to like a fancy restaurant right but here we are in like an auto right. zone not auto zone but like a, yeah, yeah, auto a truck area, yeah. area or whatever mm-hmm. so that was that was a really dope experience mm-hmm. um and then what I'm, I'm trying to think of something you know like like closer over here i mean i always go to yuka's for like a a, a wet burrito mm. uh there's one in uh 
like like on uh, what is it Hillhurst in okay. kind of Los Feliz area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's another Yucas out in uh, Pasadena, and like oh, there's multiple. Locations. Their wet burritos are just yeah. like they make me salivate. What's <laughs> one restaurant that you want to go to that you haven't been yet? Nightshade. I, I hear really good things about. That sounds familiar. That's Mei Lin. Uh, okay. Finally, kind of like. Oh yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I haven't. I don't think I've been to APL yet. Want to check that spot out. Um, there's a lot, honestly. Are you a fan of like out. the Bavels and the Bestias and whatnot? Oh, I, actually, Chef Ori's. Bavel or Balville. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's incredible. I, I went there. It was very good. So good. Yeah, and a lot of the, the chefs or service, they, they're actually uh, customers here. So oh, yeah. A lot of my chefs go there and they recognize them, hook them right. up, and it's hook them cool. up and all that stuff. They're like, yeah. they'll make their own version of hot chicken yeah. as a joke. You <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's yeah. super cool. So, yeah, no, Ori and, and, and his wife and his team are, are amazing. Like, they really. You know, if you were to do a restaurant collab with a restaurant, who what, what restaurant would it be? Um, I, I would want to do something with like a lot of southern chefs and then and, and introduce the city to some really amazing southern food mm-hmm. like Rodney Scott. He does uh, whole hog barbecue out mm. in Carolina. Man, you're and so hyped about this stuff. I got to go to the south and try all this food because like, <laughs> I have never. Check this out. You get a yeah. whole hog. You, he cooks a whole <laughs> pig, right? Wow. And he gets a mop. And he puts Wait. it in his sauce, and then he, That's as sick. he's cooking it, he's mopping it with oh a mop. It's called mopping. Amazing. And then when you get it, it's like picked apart, all this oh, stuff man. from the whole hog. And then the sauce is is vinegar based. Like it's not like barbecue yeah, sauce, yeah, yeah. like this sweet mm. like yeah. overkill ketchup yeah. thing. It's like just basically vinegar, and it's wow. like amazing. Mary Lou's, you know, I mean, like there's so many southern spots that that I would kill to go and cook <laughs> with. Yeah. Just, just because I would want to be in that kitchen, you know, and and, and cook with them, and, mm-hmm. and and it would be such like we. I flew my stuff out to Nashville, and we cooked in a truck uh, at four hundred degrees, and we did it free wings for the city of Nashville. Wow! And it was five of my guys paid for the whole thing, fly them all out there. Wow! Because you have these LA cats representing yeah. Nashville. You know, if I'm employing somebody and and they're representing the city. What if if a customer says to them, "What's your favorite hot chicken spot?" They'd be like, "Oh, Pepper Fire." Or, mm. "No, nah, you know what? I like Bolton's because it's a little bit of a dry rub on there. It's not as wet as Hattie So B's. yeah, they know the history. The exactly. So when when a customer asks the staff, they explain it into detail um, about the differences and intricacies of how each spot serves it. Right. Mm. Or also they have their own stories too. Like Louis Silva, this, one of my guys, he, he was smoking a cigarette and he walked into a bar still smoking the cigarette. <laughs> and then I said, what are you doing? And he looked at me and he took the cigarette and threw it on the floor in the middle of the, the place. And everyone was looking at him like, and he like stomped it out. <laughs> you know? And then you have these little stories. Or my chef de cuisine, Julian Sanchez, getting spanked by her royal highness on the boulevard, uh, <laughs> who's this like older woman who spanks people for five dollars? Oh, good! <laughs> like just spanking. I say yeah. you guys add that to one of the, like to the line here. <laughs> Maybe he like, that's he, like a problem maker. Right his, his 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 firmness of his body <laughs> was so strong that it broke her paddle. Oh wow! God. Yeah. So you have these stories of the employees in Nashville yeah. experiencing culture. Do you guys document this stuff? Yeah, I mean, there there the the Helen. Uh, crew stories was like lit. Yeah. It was like it was blowing up. Yeah. You know, like everyone, you know, like Cooper square dancing. You know, like that was insane. You know, like but it's like that. And then you have those moments too. Some of those guys, it was their first airplane ride. Wow. You know, and it's like how cool is that? They get to work at a spot and get flown to Nashville, stay yeah. at an Airbnb that's like super dope. And it's very f- fulfilling for you. 
I well, that's why, that's why I'm doing this. Right, that's why, right. you know, I started this is because it, that's what it's about. That's, that's right. those moments, you know, those guys will have for the rest of their lives and, and I will. And then also the customers get to, get to see it through mm-hmm. social media mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and then also get to hear about it from the staff. Very and true. it's, and it's, it's really amazing. Like, yeah. like Mario just came back from uh, three weeks of maternity leave and just had a baby mm. and like the customers are like all asking him about him. And it's yeah. like a family. It's like, yeah. it's like that same vibe. Hey, get some hummus. Get some yeah, pita. Yeah. Here, you know what I mean, and it, and it, it can be interpreted in so many different ways, and that's and, a beautiful and it's thing. Very, and that becomes very obvious in the food and in the culture, and people want to be a part of that family. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's and very it, simple. It's, it, there's no no judging on it. No. There's no there's no malicious intent. There's right. no intent that's that's not necessarily something that you wouldn't get down with. Right. Like like if you're going into right. something right. for the wrong reason, you yeah. know. So that's why I feel like you know we're we're blessed, and I want to you know just continue that and 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 uh, make it even stronger, and, yeah. and you know keep going in that direction and keep growing it in in a natural way, as opposed to how these businesses books tell you to do it, mm-hmm. or how franchising yeah. owners tell me how to do it. You know how I many billionaires tell me like you're wasting like you could be so rich right now. Uh, strike wild irons hot you know like all these different like manipulation tactics on trying to tell me how to how to do this business you know and it's like you got to go back to i had a conversation with the owner of twitter jack dorsey yeah um he also owns square mm-hmm. and i asked him i was like what do you feel like attributed you know most of your success and he said throughout the whole life of the company we've always stuck to our original goals yeah you know like the few goals two or three simple goals and we've always, you know, followed those goals. If something comes up and we have an opportunity to do something, but it doesn't align with those goals, we're not going to. Well, do he's it. like notorious for that. I mean, I, I, we'll I just start a different I company. A, I don't think a day goes by where, where someone doesn't ask him to add yeah. an edit button to their to Twitter, and he does. He's not doing it because yeah. he wants to stick to those things. I mean, exactly. he, he does need. To and do I think that, that takes a lot of just. I mean, everything like patience and will, and just like to stick to like what you know and not kind of cut out all the noise, like you said. I so. agree. Chef Johnny, this has been a pleasure, man. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us, sharing your story, your wisdom. And uh, you guys have built a phenomenal business, culture. I mean, thank you for bringing Halonese to L.A. from, from both of us yeah. and everyone listening. So. Not a problem. It's thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Yeah.